Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-host, Miss Purrington, or our other co-host, Mookie. Uh, somebody will, will join us at some point. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham or on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, and we've also got a festivals page and our FPIA 2022 page for Austinites. They know what they, that is, where you can keep up with all of the contest results. And of course, we're best known for our events page for live shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW. If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click submit a show to complete the short survey. Tag us on Instagram stories and we'll share your show promo. Looking for ways to support all of these resources that we provide? You can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Search for Comedy Wham on Patreon and check out our subscriber perks. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations and will usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, I am talking to somebody who was a self-proclaimed, or maybe he was uh, given this title, the resident fartist of the Artsy Fartsy Show. Uh, he is the host of Unknown Trivia, and that uh, trivia show, place, thing, whatever. I'm, I'm, you'll find out soon why I am so like uh, floored right now in babbling, because um, our guest has revolutionized my pa- podcasting game after I've been doing this for six years. Uh, anyway, he's the host of Unknown Trivia, hosts it at Lucky Duck and other locations around Austin. He's also the co-host of Sand Jack Open Mic. I think that one's a Sunday mic? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, he is apparently a killer Connect Four player. And uh, now, and he's also very patient because we he wanted to ha- do this interview last spring. And I said, nope can't do it. I'm buried under. And so here we are, late August, finally getting together. So please now welcome Comedy Wham Presents and our podcasting innovator extraordinaire. And also, by the way, he brought he brought cheese, wine, and chocolates. So he he's doing the podcast guest game right. <laughs> our guest, Alden Schaub. Oh, hey, thanks, Miller. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So Anybody that has been on this podcast knows that I have these mics. I love my mics. They're really, really good. And I have them on these really heavy-weighted stands that look like uh, a V. But I've always had the V facing uh, us, the guests, or me, the host. And they, they jab you in the stomach if you need to get close up. And you just offhand said, well, what if we turn them around so that the V is facing the other direction and I thought oh my god they're gonna fall over they didn't mm. and now it's like much more natural oh it's just a innovation you've yeah. changed the game <laughs> entirely I'm gonna have to rename this podcast probably well and like you say you've been looking at it the same way for six years and it just makes sense for you that it to be that way and then someone else looks at it and goes yeah oh, what the heck's going on with that yeah that happens a lot I mean. yeah do you walk into situations like that all the time and say oh this could be done a different way Oh, yeah, I think. I mean, well, uh, I kind of bill myself as like a comedy henchman, you know. Mm. Like, you know, a lot of people have projects they want to do and they get 
you know, like 80% there, and then they're ready to go and stuff. But then if they just had somebody to help out a little bit, then, yeah. you know, we kind of finish it up. And so yeah, I do find myself in that role a lot. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm, I'm just amazed. This is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get back to the actual, you know, meat and potatoes of the podcast. Mm. Uh, I do like to start with an icebreaker question, mm. and that is one word to describe your past. Oh, yes, I remember that <laughs> last one, and I thought about it extensively over the week, yeah. Uh, my word was uh, aimless. <laughs> <laughs> aimless. An aimless innovator. That's right. <laughs> well, it's different. Like, I'm excited to be involved in, in entertainment and, and in comedy because I feel like I have more purpose now. Yeah. Where most of my life, I was just like, oh, I'll try out stuff. Yeah. And then... You know, you get to a point where you realize, well, maybe I could do this thing, like uh, selling phones or something. But then you're like, is this really what I want to be doing? Well, if you ask yourself that a lot, you end up doing a lot of weird stuff. And yeah. Then, but you, I don't know. I just felt like I was wandering quite a bit when I was younger. I mean, yeah. Did comedy have a role in your life growing up? Oh, well, yeah. I was always a funny person, I think. Yeah. Uh, I read Mad Magazine when I was mm. probably like 12, you know, Mad TV, things like that. But but also just using it to meet people and to be kind of up in this in the interaction trying yeah. to be funny all the time yeah um and then where did you grow up oh in uh, northern michigan in traverse city oh okay motor motor uh, area well i can show you on the map your viewers won't <laughs> yeah. be able to see it here yeah. but uh yeah you know detroit's like there mm-hmm. and then traverse city is about four hours okay mm-hmm. wow what was that like, besides cold? Well, it's a warm in the summer, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's all right. I mean, it's, it's, it's like a little tourist town, you yeah. know. And I learned how to ski, and, and in the summer, it's nice. You yeah. know, my, my uh, parents owned, like, a cherry farm when I was a kid. Ah. So we'd always be doing cherry stuff, and, and then, you know, it's just a pleasant, it's a small town. Yeah. What got you out of, of Traverse? Well, I moved around different places, like... I went to school in Grand Rapids, which okay. is like two hours south at Grand Valley. And then I just moved different places. I, I lived in Utah for three years. Hmm. Um, I lived in Washington State for a little bit. And then I moved back to Michigan. And then I moved here to Austin. So, I don't know. Again, just sort of aimlessly trying out things. Yeah. And then you just end up places. I mean, What's the weirdest thing that you tried out, you think, in your pursuit of aim? Uh, this guy, he ran like a trampoline company, kind of. So like, you know those big inflatable things for like kids. Yeah, yeah. And I just didn't have a job because the ski season had gotten over, and I like, well, he's like, you want to move these things around uh, with your pickup, you know? Like, okay, so I did it for one day. <laughs> that was enough. Uh, well, what happened is I had a small pickup truck, and so then they have this trailer that you're dragging the thing. Well, my truck wasn't really rated for that, you know. And then, so I put in the pin of the trailer, and I'm driving along. Well, I didn't secure it properly, so I'm going down the highway, and, like, the trailer <gasps> jumps, and then it, like, slaps into the highway, and oh. the, so I'm like, oh, well, nobody got hurt, and that's fine, you know. But then I look, and the pin had been sheared, so I couldn't actually reattach <gasps> it, so I had to go to, like, AutoZone and try to get a new one and all this, and so I was, like, five hours late to the kid's birthday party or oh. something, and, you know, the parents are screaming at yeah. you, and, and I'm just like, you know, maybe maybe this isn't for me. Like, you know, just uh, there's probably a lot easier way to make money. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's that's harrowing. Well, a good thing nobody got hurt. Yeah. Um, 
When did you first try your hand at comedy? Hmm. Well, in college, I did one open mic, hmm. just kind of on a lark, and I forgot all about it till more recently. And then, well, actually, the first open mic I did here in Austin was at uh, Cherrywood, hmm. but that was probably two or three years ago. But I didn't know that I wanted to do it necessarily. I had. Been... Why did you try it back then, and when you were in college, what was your your instigation? I just like to talk. I mean, mm. I was president of my investing club and things like that. So the idea of getting up there and speaking wasn't a problem. And I thought, well, you know, I'm here at this place. Why don't I just give it a shot? Yeah. I, I don't even remember if I did jokes or anything. It was probably bad, you know, <laughs> but I thought, well, it's kind of fun. I just kind of forgot about it. Yeah. But again, I've been hosting these trivia games for a long time. And that sort of got me into it because I was like, usually if you're doing trivia at some point, you like hire other hosts and you start and run a larger business. Yeah. And then you step back from the hosting and you just sort of do the sales. But I was like, I don't want to do that. Mm. So I thought, well, what other kind of performing things could I do? And so then, yeah, I thought, well, comedy, maybe I'll do improv or maybe I'll do stand-up. And then I was like, oh, I like stand-up, so I'll keep doing that. Yeah. When did you get started with the trivia? I've been hosting trivia now for like 10 years. Wow. So I did four years or so, maybe five in Michigan. And I was hosting like four shows a night for a company called Team Trivia of Michigan. So that was fun. I learned, but then when I moved down here, again, I just got an oddball job. I thought I wanted to run a pawn shop, you know, so I got a job at a pawn shop. It turned out that's no fun, huh. you know. I mean, it was interesting, but like, so I was like, oh, you know, I kind of miss doing that trivia. Yeah. So I just started doing it for myself, you know. How do you, how do you start that? Well, it's the same way you might start a showcase or something. You walk into the bar and you go, "Hey, what are you guys doing on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday?" And they're like, "Well, we're not doing anything." Well, you want to do something? And they're like, "Oh, yeah, maybe." Mm -hmm. And then you start. You know, now I have like a following, so it's a little easier. Yeah. Like when I do the show on Mondays, I get maybe eighty people to show up for trivia. So wow. like, that's really good. But, you know, you got to, I had already a lot of experience because now I write my own questions and I do like fart sound effects, you know. And then, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it's always a winner. <laughs> well, at first I was like, I like these farts, but maybe I could do like five over uh -huh. the two hours, you know. But then now I'm doing like 80 <laughs> and people really can't get enough of it like because it's so dumb. You know? Yeah, yeah. One, two, I'm often very reserved and dry and then. So the farts sort of serve as a sidekick. Uh -huh. And I'm just like, you know. Yeah. Well, then, too, I didn't come up with this till recently, but I started doing karaoke versions of songs, and I'll play them between the questions. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it'll be the regular version, and then sometimes it'll be me singing it. So people think that's really funny. Uh -huh. So it's a little, like, a little nuance to yeah. make the show better. Are those developments things that you have figured out because you started doing stand-up? I, I think so. Yeah, because they're newer elements. Well, it's like hosting a comedy show. It's not required to be funny to be a trivia host. Mm -hmm. It's sort of an additional thing you can yeah. do if you want. So I've noticed that my ability to be funny at trivia has really skyrocketed since I've done stand-up. Yeah. Then I keep thinking, well, what can I add to this to make it even more interesting? Because mm -hmm. you know, when you first start out, you're just sort of announcing, and you're a little more passive. But now I feel like it's a, getting up to being more like a variety show or something. Yeah. And the the unknown trivia is yours, your mm -hmm. company, and you started that when? Uh, like four years ago. Okay. And you you did that Cherrywood open mic, your first open mic in Austin. Maybe like 
three and a half. It was like maybe okay. six, seven months before the pandemic or something. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, those are pretty close together. So you were a little bit motivated to, you know, bring something extra to your trivia? Well, I didn't know. I just, like, I did, everybody, you know, you're probably familiar with Jordan Peterson, right? Mm-hmm. I was sort of at a crossroads. I was like, what am I going to do? Am I, I don't want to make a bigger trivia business. What am I going to do with my life? And I was like, well, am I going to go to grad school? Am I going to, I like this performing. So I actually did that writing exercise that he's got, the uh, the self-inventory and the writing about your future and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what I really like about this trivia is the performing. More than, I don't even like, I'm not even that good at trivia as a player. You know? mm-hmm. and I'm not. So I thought, well, I need to focus on performing things and so then then that's how kind of the comedy came about you know yeah i thought well i'm funny i could probably do it and i'd have to learn how to do it but you know i could probably figure it out yeah and so how did you approach that first open mic did you write stuff did you swing it geez i don't know i just had written some things i had actually written them all out like i had like a page of writing and I, of course, didn't remember most of it. <laughs> I just got out there and I was like, oh. <laughs> but it's funny, too, even I had been doing the trivia for, like, maybe seven years at that point. Yeah. And I was still nervous to do, like, three minutes of stand-up. Mm. So that's, it's a completely different thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're the MC versus, you know, well, I know what Cherry Wood is like. Nobody's paying attention to you. So you're just, you know, performing to an audience of maybe somebody who'll look up from there their uh, notebooks and and homework if, if it's a random audience person i was just like uh you know getting ready to get over the nerves of it and everything and then yeah i didn't do another open mic for like six months after that or something oh. because you were busy or because you were intimidated or well, i was still kind of exploring if mm-hmm. i wanted to do that or if it was going to be improv or some other yeah. kind of thing but then i was like no that was all right i'll probably try that again <laughs> and you went back to cherrywood or tried another one I used to go to Opa a lot on Lamar. Uh, they had that one. Then there was one, um, Micheladas used to be upstairs on, uh, f- I think it's like 4th f- Street or something. Yeah. That one a lot. And then you know, everything closed down again, of course. Mm-hmm. So I was basically just doing favor at that time. And then, you know, as things started to open up, I'd go to the different ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you, you did start picking up hosting shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I know the first time I met you, you, uh, I think, had just picked up Castro's, or you mm-hmm. were getting involved with Castro's, which, you know, there's some history there, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I'd rather not get, sure. get into too much, but that was the first time I met you, so that was maybe th- close to three years ago. Well, that was another thing where somebody was just like, I want this thing to keep going. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it myself. Yeah. You seem to be able to do the hosting part of it. Yeah. And I didn't know. And I was like, well, that's a great opportunity, you know, twice a month. And I'll yeah. go out there. And that show was okay. You know, yeah. you get a few people. Sometimes it was good. Like, you know, Mary Helen did the G-Spot one out there mm-hmm. one time. And there were like 60 people. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. Well, she hustled for yeah. those crowds. Yeah. But then the next time we did it, there was like four people. So I was <laughs> like, geez, this is really volatile, you know. Yeah. But again, being the host is much easier because I have that hosting experience. So I had to try to learn how to do the material and stuff. So mm. that was a nice... Well, I I consider myself reliable and I'm you know, somebody who's going to show up and yeah. do it. And, and I don't mind being there for the whole show. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the, the lessons of, of life as, as a 
comic and, and hosting shows is sometimes it really helps if the venue is, is on board and helps with the promotions. You know, if you're sure. the only one that's promoting and you're just promoting to the Facebook groups full of comics, uh, you know, other comics, it's, it's a lot tougher than if the venue will, will, you know, also do promotion. And for me, that was an example of a venue that really didn't didn't invest that much effort in, into the promotion side. You know, after I, I ended up working with another venue that was really into the, the promotion side, and so that was that was really helpful. Well, and two, they're out of business now. So yeah. it goes to show, like, it is... I, I didn't understand that in the beginning either. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, you just turn on the microphone, and people love comedy, they'll be here, right? Yeah, like, no. no. Actually, they won't. Like, so yeah. I started trying to learn how to do Instagram ads and, like, you know, when I was doing Indian Roller, I would spend probably 15 or 20 bucks each week to do the ads. Mm. And, you know, maybe I'd get like 10 people. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'd get 20. Sometimes there'd be four, you know. But that's like, you still got to invest the money. Like. Right. Yeah, there's a, definitely a lot of lessons learned. And then the added layer on that that we have is our location. Like, we're outside the perimeter of Austin. You still do a lot of stuff in Austin proper, but you know, developing any kind of comedy scene in a, in an area that just well, isn't used to that is... Plus to get the comics to come out, you know. Yeah. So that show was on a Saturday. So what happened is I'd book out the people maybe a month in advance. Oh, yeah, I'm real excited to do the show. Then the day of, they'd put it in their GPS, <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, it's 30 minutes? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I can't make it. You know? Yeah. So you just got... I just started overbooking it and getting used to that. But yeah. I was like... This is annoying. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, nothing against them. Maybe they didn't want to spend the money on the gas or whatever. But yeah. it was like, it became such a problem that I had to book maybe eight people and I would expect five. Mm. And, that, and then other people would show up and I'd just put them on. Yeah. yeah. And then that's just how I ended up doing it. Yeah. 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 I, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, I feel like we're, we're blowing through a whole bunch of things, but I, f I feel like also that talking about some of the business elements of, of, of comedy is, is useful to people. Oh, yeah. Um, so how have, how have you felt about stand-up comedy over the last, you know, two, three years when you had the shutdown and your performance spaces were gone and then now the return of it? Well, for me, I didn't really know what it was like before. Hmm. I was barely just dipping my toes in prior. So, like, I just know what's happening now. You know? Yeah. But as far as, like, I'm excited that there's so many places to do it. Like, there's just so many, there's just so many people down here who have the time and they have the interest. So if you set up a show, it's easy to book it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you apparently don't like elaborating on answers. You're no. just letting me ask a question <laughs> and then you just answer it and then you don't elaborate. <laughs> this is what I'm finding. Oh. We're gonna be done in about 20 minutes. No, I'll, I'll, I'll try to <laughs> talk more of a draw. <laughs> well, my thing is too, like you're talking about the business. Like, I do think all the things should make money, you know. So, like, yes, like this is my job now. Between the trivia and and producing shows, I'm yeah. making enough to live, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not getting rich, you know, but it's like I have a income that's mm -hmm. steady, and like, you know, my goal is like, I've noticed there's not a lot of people doing clean comedy in Austin. Mm -hmm. So there are some, like I know Simply Courtney's doing that, and there's certain people. I have sort of a list who can do clean, you know. Yeah. So my kind of next goal is I want to set up a clean showcase and that way that'll be sort of my proving ground for people who I want to have for corporate shows. So yeah. like, but that's a long project. That'll probably take a couple of years to get going. Mm -hmm. 
but that's sort of what I want to do because like corporate shows obviously pay more you know it's hard to they're only gonna get them once in a while and that's okay but yeah. like it'd be great if people had an opportunity and a, a, a reason to do clean because again if you do clean no one seems to there isn't really opportunities for that or people don't seem to mind mm-hmm. if it's like really dirty but right. for some places it's not like that you know? yeah yeah um yeah and it almost seems like that's setting you up for really blowing up your business because if you've got a, a trivia arm that's mm-hmm. doing really well and is proven and then you have this other arm of your business i mean you're just you're really just building up your your own business as well so that's pretty cool well and i do these trivia shows at people's apartment buildings and so i can what i like about the trivia is i'm the only one speaking so i can guarantee it's going to be a certain level of cleanliness yeah in some places it doesn't matter like when i do the show on monday i could be as blue as i want who cares uh-huh. but if it's in an apartment and you don't know everybody and it's like you know you want to be a little more pg-13 mm-hmm. so i've just like gotten more on the clean side just from that and then i'm looking at comedy i'm like well there's no way I'm going to be the dirtiest comic. That's just not even possible. <laughs> so like, well, what's the other thing? I could be like a relatively clean one and somebody who can do more businessy stuff. And so then, well, that's a viable thing too. Why yeah. not do that? You know? Yeah. Do you think you're, you're smarter now because of all of those experiences of, of aimlessness and trying different things? Do you think you're smarter now at figuring out an angle for where you can succeed? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I've done so many things that, again, it's not a matter of like, could I have done the thing? It's like, why am I doing it? Mm. If I can't answer that why, then I'm like, well, I guess I'll go on to the next thing. Yeah. But I'll just like, and I've had so many trivia shows that have failed. So Mm. I know what to look for. I know it's got to be a bar that's got food. It's got to have open seating. And again, like you mentioned, the staff and the owner have to be into it. Yeah. And if you don't meet those three things, just forget it. Because I've had places where they try to get you down on the pay and they tell you, oh, we'll do it once a month and we'll see. And it's like, no, you know, I want to do it once a week. This is the product and mm-hmm. this is the price. And if you like it, it'll be great. And if you don't, well, have a good day. You know? Yeah. That's the same way we should do the comedy too. Like, you know, I don't have to do any marketing for the Lucky Dog. They have foot traffic. Yeah. So that isn't something I did by being really smart. I just happened to be in the right place for that. Yeah. So, you can't create that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do a show that's like the Indian Roller, I was like, nobody's walking in here. I have to do the marketing part. So I learned by like taking on that new thing going, okay, well, how is this going to work? And then, you know, I had like 50 shows there. So I was like, that was a pretty good experience. It's a good so, run. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll, and I'll find another place to do it and it'll have its own basket of challenges. Mm-hmm. But like if they have those three things, then it should be fine. Yeah. That's... That's a really important lesson for people to take away, too, is, is, you know, at a minimum, these three things. Well, you don't have to work with everybody. Yeah. I had somebody email me, and they're like, oh, we'd really like to do your Connect Four tournament. And I was like, oh, that'd be great, you know. So I'm real excited. But I drove up to the place, and it's too small. Mm. So I'm like, there's nothing that's going to make this work. And also, it's not going to make money for the bar. So then it's not going to work for them. Yeah. So I just told them, hey... For what I'm doing here, it's just not going to work for you guys. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, thanks for letting us know. You know, But sometimes if I was just getting going, I would have just said, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. 20 bucks, I don't care, whatever. You yeah. know, just, just to get it going. But like now it's like I know oops, that I want the thing to last. Because if I'm going to spend my time on it and stuff, I, should, I want something that's going to 
yeah. endure as much as possible. I mean. Yeah. I feel like the successful comics in the universe, they say yes to everything first yeah. until they realize there's a lot I can say no to and still be successful and actually become more successful. Yeah, it's hard for me to say no to things. I mean, mm. I'm just starting to run out of free time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when you have to say no, is if you've run out of the free time. Uh, well, yeah, and I've got to a point where I'm like, my every day of the night I've got something, which is good. Yeah. But then also it's like, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And gas prices climbing up because that's one thing that you and I have in common is by living so far out, going into town. Like I can't even imagine going into town every single day of the week mm. and, you know, the gas that that would cost unless you're driving a, an all-electric vehicle. Which Well, my Kia is pretty good on gas, yeah. you know, a little, a little solar. But yeah. Well, I only drive into town once a day and then I drive back and the traffic's not really that bad at like 2 in the morning. So <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I did like that about driving home from a late night show. Is you know super easy to yeah. And you wave to, get to the across. three police officers that are yeah, on the way. And exactly. Go, eh, just yelling in the car on the road. Yeah, they're like, oh man, this person's not speeding. Darn it. <laughs> what am I gonna do the rest of the night? Yeah. Probably nothing. <laughs> um, and I guess you stay connected to the Austin scene by by you know being there every every night and seeing what's going on. Well, and too sometimes at the Lucky Duck, so like. I get there at 6, and we do the tag mic from 6.30 to 7.30, and then we take a little break, and then we do the open mic from 8 till 2 in the morning. So sometimes I see 80 to 85 um, comics. So that makes it really easy to book, because I'm like, I'm literally getting a very good variety. You're getting an audition, basically. Of <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, it was like super easy. I basically book, well, if I, once I get another showcase going, I'll book out of there again. Yeah. Because it's like, why wouldn't I? You yeah. Know? And so that helps, you know. Yeah. Plus, I mean, it's just fun. You know, again, I use the farts there a lot, you know, just to kind of <laughs> cut the tension. <laughs> well, and to talk about innovation. So, like, I don't know if you've been down over there, but there's just, like, a wall. And then they, they like, run the cord out. And then you've got, like, the mic stand there and the stool. And one day I got it in my head. I was like, I want to be able to play these farts off my phone. Uh-huh. So I was like, well, how am I going to do that? So, like, am I going to bring my laptop in every week? I was like, I don't want to do that. So, I realized that I got this thing. It's like a little Bluetooth dongle. And I can, like, plug it into the soundboard. And then I can play them off my phone. So, I just was like, this is fantastic. Yeah. So, again, I like, I had the idea in my head. This is what I want. Then yeah. I went out and figured out the tech to kind of get it to work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I love... I'm loving this conversation because we're, we're not... Well, I've... It's going to sound bad. We're not even talking about the your comedy, per se. We're talking about how you've solved issues and how you've, like, figured out how to navigate the world of, of comedy. Well, comedy, I mean, making, writing jokes is sort of like problem solving. Yeah. Know? Well, I'll tell you something funny. Uh, you know, I went to the FPIA, you know, and I had a pretty good set. But I did the, the I don't know, are we allowed to be, like, explicit? Yes, you can. Oh, yes, there's... <laughs> Nobody can hear. Oh, good, yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, um, so all the jokes have the same punchline, and it's big, fat cock, you know. And so, like, <laughs> I got thinking about it one day, because I was doing the Riverside Screw Job, which is like a one-liner competition, mm. and everybody does their one-liners, and I maybe had like 10 or 12 or something. Well, I kept getting eliminated, and I was like, you know what would be fun is I need like a gimmick. So I was like, 
I'll do a series of one-liners, and they all have the same punchline. That'll be great. Uh-huh. Thought, okay, that's pretty funny. Then what is the most hack thing I could possibly do? Like, okay, dick jokes. You know? uh-huh. So it's dick or fart jokes. Yeah. Like, well, I'll do the dick jokes. You know? So anyways, for my FPA uh, set, I did that for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was pretty funny. Yeah. But you know, I ended up getting eliminated, but like... I took a, you know, a little bit of a gamble there, but I just think that's so funny. Cause yeah. like, if you sat there on paper and wrote it all out, you'd be like, this will never work. But mm-hmm. like, it kind of does. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So I'll take like an idiom and I'll pair it with a uh, big fat cock. And so then that's, and I just keep doing them until people get <laughs> tired of it. <laughs> and throw tomatoes on stage. <laughs> Well, but it's funny because the first four or five, they'll kind of laugh. Yeah. Like, and then they kind of go, oh, this is what this is? Uh-huh. And then I'll catch them on one, and it'll kind of like move like this. Yeah. And so it is sort of a niche thing, but I think that it's like just the, the idiocy of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's that can't be all you do. No, I have regular material and stuff, but like <laughs> I, I focus on like, uh, I think failure is really funny, hmm. you know, like trying to. One of my stronger bits is about my mailbox being broken, you know. And you think to yourself, well, we live in this digital age. Like, who cares? What's the problem with that? But as as I start unfurling the different things as my life is spiraling out of control from this mailbox being broken, uh-huh. it, it gets funnier and funnier. Hmm. I start coming up with these scenarios of things that are really going wrong. because of, so like, But it starts out with that, to me, that trivial um, inconvenience or that. Mm-hmm. And then spirals out into just like madness. Yeah. I had been talking to somebody who made a comment about, um, I'm pretty sure it was Dave Chappelle. Like he, he said a sentence and then he like unpacked like every element to that sentence and that, you know, from one sentence he could create like this whole long bit. So it kind of sounds like something that you're, you're doing. I like that. Like, I have a lot of jokes about coins. Hmm. So, like, <laughs> on the surface, there's nothing there, you know? What could be... Uh, the idea is, like, that is so boring. It's beyond. It's below the level of people's interest. Yeah. Okay, good. Start with that. Yeah. So, I got one, of my, one of my bits is, like, I'm in the In-N-Out burger, and um, you know, i got to wash my hands before I get the burger, and there's, like, a wet quarter on the ground. That's, like, the... And then, where did, where, what happens after that? Uh-huh. You know? To me, it's, like... So funny. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I have this other one. I'll be like, yeah, I collect coins uh, from the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of thing that like, I don't know, the mundane is what yeah. attracts me to it. Because again, you can surprise people. Because if, if they think it's just like so boring and then when you hit them with the punchline, it's not that it's that funny, but the gap in between that is like larger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Seinfeld built an entire career off of idea of nothing oh yeah and things that should not make for for comedy like i have one about uh getting butter from h-e-b that's like pretty good (laughs) (laughs) but and then so it's like one minute of just like asinine talk and then there's one pun at the end Uh and then that's the joke yeah and people really like and i've had people come up to me and be like that one really sticks out to me i don't know what's so stupid about it (laughs) but also it's like you know like norm mcdonald's got that moth joke you know um, it's like that, but like way shorter. Mm. So like, he's just got all this nonsense in the beginning and then yeah. there's just that little joke at the end. Yeah. It's like that, but just like a minute. Yeah. Do you study other comics and, and 
or watch a lot of specials and and uh, learn from from them, or do you feel like you learn from them? Oh yeah, I definitely listen to like Norm Macdonald a lot and like David Tell, uh, but also I read a lot of biographies of comics. Just ah. Kind of. Um, well, even before I got started, uh, uh, I thought to myself, "What am I getting into here if I do this stand up? Mm. What is the life of a?" of a comedian and also everybody will tell you well they don't make any money and that like my dad said uh well the chance of you being a, a famous stand-up is less than being in the nfl or something you know so i'm like <laughs> okay you know, that, thanks you know but, far less head uh, injury though hopefully well that's true but also i thought that you had to define what you think of as success yeah. so that, like anyways so i before i even did a, a mic um except for the one in college there i read like 12 biographies of comedians you know and so you get a pattern mm -hmm. they all did it in obscurity for like 10 years or more or less and then something happened where they were discovered or something but like in that interim they were poor mm -hmm. you know they didn't make any money no um acclaim or whatever you want and then that's just the ones who made it yeah there's that survivorship bias so there's probably thousands who went through that period and did it so i sat down and i thought okay you're going to do this for 10 years and you may make like zero dollars. It may cost you money to do it. And at the end, you may have nothing. You could have started a business or something. How does that all sound? Yeah. And I strangely was like, that sounds pretty good. You know? <laughs> so there's a certain amount of, I don't know, some delusion or something, but yeah. I did, it appealed to me and, and I was like, well, okay, that's the deal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, when you find something that really speaks to you, you you're willing to make that that gamble well sure and also there's you get your pay and fulfillment too you know? yeah yeah but i could have um, just continued to do trivia but it wasn't providing me with that fulfillment so i yeah. was searching for something i mean i certainly do do it because i because i like it but it's more of a hobby business now mm. you know? yeah who are some of your favorite uh, biographies that you read well, i read tina phaser the bossy pants you know i did i actually i'm rereading steve martin's mm. born standing up you know I read Norm Macdonald's, although it's not actually a biography, but, you know, that was pretty good. John Stewart, you know, he wrote one. I mean, a lot of people do it in, like, um, I'm listening to Jeff Foxworthy a lot, talking mm. about his life and stuff. But, yeah, it's just, like, even John Stewart, he said, well, I had, like, 30 jobs before I started doing I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, check that box. That's I guess relatable. Been, yeah, yeah so, so that was comforting in a way, too, to have that roadmap of like, well, this is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. you know? And also there's not going to be a, it's not a guarantee, of course. Yeah. But then I thought, I don't know. I have a certain tolerance for uncertainty, so yeah. that's okay. You know? Yeah. Um, I want to uh, pivot to something because you seem like you're a, an astute observer of, of things and, mm. you know, figuring out how things work for you. Um, you, you said you started comedy in Austin two or three years ago, which is right when the pandemic uh, locked everything down. Um, what are your observations about the Austin comedy scene, not having necessarily a lot of information about it before the pandemic? I don't know. It just seems very, like, booming, yeah. I guess. Everybody wants to be down here. There's certainly a certain sense of excitement. Well, even, like, when I would post the Indian Roller Show, it's just a bar show. I'd mm -hmm. put it on Eventbrite. And I'd get people hitting me up from all over the place wanting to be on it. I was like, 
I mean, yeah, I'll put you on it, but you know, it's like a bar show. Like, <laughs> you're gonna drive down from wherever, and, yeah. you know, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, it's cool. I'll have the stage time. Now, some people came in and go, oh, you know, but I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I, I wasted a forty dollar Uber for this. You know, oh my like, gosh. I'm like, hey, you're welcome. You yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, it does seem like um, it'll be yet to be seen whether or not it becomes um, what people think it will become in the yeah. future. I guess, but. I don't know, I think it's a good place to be doing it, especially because I'm a newer comedian. Mm-hmm. You know? I noticed during the, right when the pandemic was over, I felt like I had access to people more, and now it's sort of dissipated. Mm-hmm. Now people are kind of getting more into their cliques or whatever. Yeah, that that would that's in sync with my observation. It seemed like, you know, it was free for all mm-hmm. for, you know, late 20 and most of 2021, and now it's... You've, because a lot of the old guard comics have come back and they're doing their shows that they were doing before and I feel like it's less of a free-for-all. Mm-hmm. But maybe, I don't know, again, living out here it's it, and not going in every single day, I don't see it the way that, that you do either. Well, like Nick Roche, who uh, started the San Jack Saloon, he had been here one week. And someone said, hey, why don't you start an open mic? <laughs> he goes, all right, well, we're still doing that one. Yeah. So... You know, but again, I don't have anything to compare it to. I don't know yeah. what it was like prior, so it's yeah. like, but I just, uh, I feel like there's a certain amount of excitement, you know, mm-hmm. especially like, you know, Cap City's open now, you know, and then the Creek, and then you've got the Vulcan, and you've yeah. got all these places, you got all these independent shows. Yeah. So like, people are after it. And I, and also we got the East Austin Comedy Club now, mm-hmm. and so it's like, you know, and I tell people, it's hard to go to a bad show now, because there's so much talent. Like, you would think it would make it so competitive. But in a sense, it's going to rise all of our boats. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And that's that's something I've been saying all along is, you know, you might have the comic. It seemed like you had the comics who just thought, I'm, I'm up here on a stage, I have a mic, I'm going to go as blue and as inappropriate as possible. And that's their right to do that. Sure. But at a certain point, you're going to have to elevate your material if you want to get booked on certain shows or, you know, get a higher level or you're gonna have to write smarter blue comedy well too there's a matter of suitability like some people mm. well when i had the indian roller there were two restrictions they didn't want any anti-lgbtq stuff and they didn't want it to be too racist mm. well that eliminates some people yeah you know and that's okay and i just told them that right out of the bat you know yeah. these are the these are the requirements it's not a matter of you being funny or not there's just these things yeah. and some people didn't like to hear that I told them hey well you know i work for the bar for this yeah so like yeah but two, there's plenty of room for everybody to do every kind of comedy, you know. Yeah. And to think you're going to be on every single show sounds mm. nice, but, like, some you're just not suitable for. Like, yeah. I can't be on the filthy show. I'm not a filthy comic. Yeah. You know, that just wouldn't work. Like, you know, and so I know people get a little in their egos about it, but just to think about it, like, there's plenty of shows to be on. Yeah. Yeah, after a certain point, if you're performing three to five years, you kind of know what your your thing is. Sure. You know the st- style of comedy that that you're doing and that you're comfortable doing, and you find you find places for that. One well, like they used to do that show at the Wonderlust, uh, right by thirty five there, and uh, I had fantastic sets in there because I worked at a winery, hmm. so I could uh, the crowd that would be attracted to that, I would be able to speak to them really well. And then, you know, like I go up to the Anderson Mill pub and it's like completely different. Yeah. So that one really appeals to me because there's a certain 
they almost want to be insulted or something. And I see some comics are, are a little nervous, you know, <laughs> and I'm just like, hey, you know, I go, uh, hey, I, I was looking for the Andersonville pub on my GPS, and now I got flagged as a sex offender, you know, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, that's the way, oh, you know, gosh. that's the kind of joke that wouldn't go, you know, Yeah. so like, you know, you have to be adaptable. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is true. That is a life lesson in the world of comedy is you be adaptable. Sure. Yeah. Well, and those, uh, you know, the jokes that work in one room, obviously, you don't know what they're going to do in the other room. Mm-hmm. you gotta, you got to do all the rooms. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's take a little break here, and we'll do our little uh, where should we begin card game. We've got two cards from the deck in mm-hmm. front of you. You can pick one and uh, just read it aloud and then go from there. I'll go for this one. Okay. Oh, it's upside down. <laughs> when I look in the mirror, the first thing I see, dot, dot, dot. Huh. Hmm. Probably my beard. <laughs> Literal man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Don't want to take it to a profound and deep levels. <laughs> that is pretty profound. <laughs> I could have seen my mustache or something or my eyebrow. You know, that's what... <laughs> Oh, yeah, the beard's looking pretty good. <laughs> All right, let's see. What'd you get? Let's see, what did I get? I got, I'm the most judgmental when it comes to, oh, my God. <laughs> see, I'm glad you got that one. Oh, I man. I find myself not to be too judgmental. That's though. hilarious, because I am so judgmental. Mm. Uh I'm the most judgmental when it comes to Alden's beard. No, <laughs> just kidding. No, um, my beard. <laughs> Uh, I think manners. Mm. I'm like, boy, if, if we're eating a meal together and you slurp and you, oh, yeah. I think <laughs> <laughs> that was an invitation, obviously. Oh, yeah. no, I, <laughs> well done. Well done. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a curse mm. uh, because I remember growing up thinking, man, my mom is so judgmental. And thinking that I wasn't as judgmental, but now with my son, like he's judgmental. And I'm like, well, I'm obviously the connecting link here. <laughs> I'm probably way more judgmental than I realize. Well, we're cursed to be our parents in some sense. Yeah, yeah. I used to think I was really open-minded, and then I realized I'm getting more stubborn like my dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I find myself the same way. Um, I was raised in a conservative town but then moved to austin and went to school so i like the whole liberal open-mindedness thing you know filtered in but i have noticed as i get older like there are certain things where like, oh i'm not as liberal as i thought i try to be i try really hard not not necessarily to be liberal i try hard to be open-minded because i feel like with this platform i have to be open-minded sure so um, well, I've heard the uh, saying, if you are young and you're conservative, you don't have a heart. And if you're old and, uh, or no, if you're old and liberal, you don't have a brain. I guess I've heard that one. Yeah. So I think people feel that way, I think. Yeah. But also, you're like, you get used to the thing that you're used to. Yeah. So then, you, as you get older, you're like, well, I want it to be like that. Yeah. And then you also, you've done a bunch of things, so you do have opinions, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, the, my mom used to work with somebody, and he'd always give me a hard time, it's like, you're still young. You're going to become conservative. Trust me. And every once in a while, I feel like writing him saying, I'm still waiting. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess I'm going to live to 200. Yeah. 
He was just convinced it was going to happen, that, you know, apparently it's the rite of passage in his mind that, you know, I'd get over it. <laughs> this is just a fad. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, um, what do you want to talk about? I feel like I've gone through oh. my list of stuff that I've wanted to talk about, and you're so damned efficient in oh, answering. Oh, you know, that's what we're trying to do, cut out the words, you know? And, uh, well, I tell you, I've been really focused on the writing of comedy. You know? So, yeah. like, when I was first going um, for that first year, I was doing stories with no punchlines, but I was like, mm. oh, people are kind of smirking, you know? I thought, well, then I came to the realization, I do not know how to write a punchline. Ah. That's a big problem. So I thought, well, okay, I'm just going to do that exclusively for a while. So I do this thing, the right 10. And so the, the guy that does the hot breath, they put out a word every day. And you try to write 10 jokes in 10 minutes. Huh. And That's just, cool. I've been doing that for like maybe a year and a half now. Mm -hmm. So I've noticed it's really increased my ability to write punchlines. You know? Yeah. So it definitely helps me. And now I'm helping out. They have this uh, show they do on Mondays at the Creek. It's like a, the Good Evening News. Hmm. and they have people writing the topical jokes. So I've been volunteering to do that. So that's also helped me think about, you know, where are the punches? Punch, punch, yeah. punch. Like. Yeah. Well, that's good to keep, like, pushing yourself and, and learning. My my boyfriend has this theory about comedy that there's two two camps of comics. There's the, the, um, the woo comic, and then there's the one that actually makes you laugh. Hmm. And... Whenever I hear somebody talk about like the storytelling comic, like sometimes they're just telling you a story. It's like a TED talk. Like they're on board with you, so they're gonna woo along with you. But that's not necessarily a laugh. Sure. So yeah, writing those punchlines and getting those punchlines in—that's what's gonna pivot you to the actual make you laugh comic. Well, I'd agree. Like again, I think that's right. People start out as a story comic or a one-liner comic, mm -hmm. and then if they can kind of move toward each other a little bit. So, yeah, if you, like now when I have a good story, like I had a road rage incident with somebody huh. and I was driving and like I kind of was daydreaming and texting, you know, and I look up in my rear view mirror and that guy's flipping me the bird, you know, it's like, oh, this is going to be a good bit, you know, but then <laughs> as he, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the heart of a comic right there. I'm fearing for my life, but man, this is going to be good material. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's like, I pulled into the H-E-B. Well, he followed me, you know. Ooh. So I pulled over and I kind of went, and he just drove past. It. So I was like, well, no, you know, I'm going to go talk to him. So I actually like parked over by him and he rolled down his window and he's like, um, I'm like, what's the problem? You know, he's like, oh, you're driving kind of slow. You know, I was like, okay. And I just like walked off, you know. So then I thought, okay, so I'll write out the incidents. Then where are the punches in that going to be? Yeah. So then when I tell the story, and I do that part, and I go, and he was flipping me the bird. And I don't like that. You know, so that becomes, okay, there's a note there. And then, oh, he followed me. Then he drove right past. I don't like that. You know, so, like, I, I started following him. Uh -huh. And I started, oh, I don't know, I'm a big man. You know, I'm going to, so, like, to take it and, and put the punches on top of it. Yeah. And then the kind of the the final one is I, I look at him in the mirror as he's rolled down his window, and I'm like, I was texting bitch and I was like no and I'm like in Texas that's an invitation to be shot in the face you know but he didn't do it you know so like <laughs> but to take that core of the story because yeah. that all sort of happened and then you know but before I wouldn't have had the ability to add that punches into it because mm -hmm. then too if you're just doing one-liners that are sort of a grab bag then it's like well how do you create a coherent narrative 
Because I find it hard to memorize all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It helps if there's a grain of truth that you know you can call back on, and then you can, you know, your your brain can work uh, with practice, can work on, oh, I've got the, the punchline here, or I need to make sure I insert this because that leads up to my my other punchline. Well, and in that road rage one, if I can actually summon up the feeling of being angry, then it makes it much funnier for the audience. Mm. But if I'm just doing it, if I'm just speaking it, it's not quite as good. Yeah. But if they can really feel my... Like, I had this one... Like, Chase Bank has been charging me $12 a month for my checking account because I don't have direct deposit and stuff. So, like, that really makes me angry. So yeah. I wrote, the, okay, this is good. This is a thing that really, you know, is kind of checks boxes for me. It's very mundane. Mm-hmm. It really does make me angry, and it's like a failure because I could just switch banks or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, but I have credit cards or whatever. So, so I'm just, like, railing against Chase Bank. Uh-huh. And also it's, like, good targeting because, like, nobody's on the side of Chase Bank. Yeah, I'm not punching down on them. They're like the powerful ones. Yeah, so like, yeah. To me, that's very funny. And I'll be like, yeah, so actually now I'm a local guide on Google. You know, <laughs> I only rate one business, you know, Chase Banks. So <laughs> <laughs> like right there, it's like, but actually I am doing that. Yeah. So, so I'll get on there and I'll give them a one star and I'll be like, uh, Chase Bank charged me $12 a month. You know, despicable. You know? So I've gotten like 45 of those. You know? <laughs> so to me, that's very funny of like, I'm sure they're not reading it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they could care less. You know? Right. They have the policy in there for whatever reason. Yeah. And they're not going to change it. But actually, I did call them one time, and I got them to rescind the $12 for like one month. <laughs> so now I've got to do that like every month. So that's like two hours on the phone tree and stuff. Yeah. So again, to me, that idea of like, a lot of people would just change banks, or, or they would just let it go. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, in my brain, I want to like fiddle with it. And so that's like to me where a lot of the humor comes in because like, well, like I write this, uh, I write a little blog and it's called a, a sick desire for savings. Okay? And the idea is if you're really cheap and you don't value your time, then you can do these like really stupid things to try to save money. Mm. Like I used to drive around to like four stores and I'm like, okay, the detergent is like a dollar cheaper here, <laughs> but the cheese you know what I mean? But so uh-huh. that's idiotic. If you but if in your calculation you don't include like the two hours you drove around in the gas, yeah, then it's a great deal. Yeah. Know? So like it's sort of a. I find that very funny because a lot of people in my family do that. Yeah. They'll drive across town to save a penny on the gas. You know things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's like the buying in bulk person. You know, it's like oh, if I buy this all on sale, uh, then I'll, you know, I'll never run out of peanut butter. Yeah, right. I got a year. I got 10 years of peanut butter. Maybe that's what preppers are. They're just getting ready, but they're really just discount hounds. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Run with the idea. But there again, it's like a thing. I noticed that about myself. That's a really a, a personality quirk. Mm-hmm. But also it's something people can relate to a yeah. little more, you know? So like that to me is a good place to mine the material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to? I mean, is there more wisdom from from Alden that people should should have? I don't know. I guess just write more. I don't know. <laughs> I, I try to write a lot. I mean, yeah. But also just having fun. You know, people are are taking uh, comedy so seriously sometimes. Yeah. And you know, theoretically, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, I get that too. I'll get a little FOMO or something about different shows, but I'm like, well, you know, it's a long process. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get yourself out of those funks? 
Well, I just try to think about the things I am doing that are good. Mm-hmm. You know, have some gratitude. Like, I go, oh, well, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing trivia a couple nights a week. And I got the Lucky Duck on Wednesday. And Thursday, I got an apartment. And, you know, Friday, Saturday, I'll be at the Tiger Den. And Sunday, I'm over at the Sand Jack. So, like, a lot of people would like to have those opportunities. Yeah. And, and so, I shouldn't be so worried about what other people are doing, you know. Because, I, you know, and it just takes time to continue to improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just excited about it because, like, I just I notice an improvement in my ability to do it, and so that feels nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all important stuff. I mean, you've shared a lot of profound stuff today that anybody starting out should, you know, kind of hang on to. As well, I was talking to a new comic who had come to town. He'd been doing comedy before. And he's like, "Well, how do I get on these shows and this and that?" And I was like, "Well, you know, you gotta hang out and you gotta people gotta see and stuff." But I also said to him. What's in it for the booker? You know, why like why do they want to help you out? And I think of that when I'm trying to start mm-hmm. a show at a bar. Like, obviously I want to perform and I want to do comedy and that's great. Why does the bar care about that? They want to sell drinks. Yeah. That's all they care about. Yep. So if I can answer that question for them, you know, then, then they'll want to have it. But if it's just about my interests, then who cares? You know? So same with booking. Like, are you booking a show? That's a nice way to get onto a local show that mm-hmm. you just kind of exchange, or you know, are you willing to help them out with the marketing? Are you willing to pass out flyers or be the guest host sometime or just whatever? Yeah. So then, to me, those things are are nice things to do because mm-hmm. then it shows that you're wanting to contribute. So yeah. like every week, I bring in a host, a guest host for the Lucky Duck now. And I used to host the whole six hours, but now it's like yeah, I want to give somebody else a shot to try it out and. You know, people like the opportunity and they do a good job. And, yeah. You know, but also you get to see what kind of attitude they have when they're given the power, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems trivial, but like, when I hand that list over to the person and I go, okay, don't ask me how to do it. It's up to you. And the way they do it is very telling. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Because you give them an unordered list and then they... are. You, is that what you're saying? Oh, well, I have a list that's sort of incoherent you know i just kind of go okay do whatever you want for Uh your hour and then they do some people will invite people over that they want or some people will go by the list or some people will bump a bunch of people and Mm. like you know they just do it how they want to do it which is great yeah Hmm. just make it try to make it very chaotic (laughs) (laughs) oh you learn a lot about somebody in in chaos well and two on paper a lot of the things of the lucky duck are bad like (laughs) There's, there's music gently playing through the speaker most of the time during uh-huh. the show. There's a huge TV that's going. Oh, gosh. We don't turn it off. Okay, then I purposely bring in a broken mic stand every week. <laughs> so, like, and then also it's outside, okay? Oh, gosh. And then you're actually below the audience. You're in a pit, okay? And for some reason, it's, like, very popular. And I think it's in spite of the difficulties. Yeah. Like, that's good. It's making people stronger. Like, uh-huh. When they pick up that mic stand, they're just like, oh, and it just breaks. Like, yeah. I don't know what it is about it. I find it kind of funny, but also like, I don't know, it adds a little more resilience. Yeah. Because you just got to keep going. And like, you know, to me, that's good. Yeah. It's like, you know, we don't want to coddle ourselves too much. Yeah. You, I don't know if you were uh, doing comedy when the, was it called the Lucky Goat? I don't know. No, I've, I've got Lucky Duck stuck in my brain. It was the Goat Tavern. It was mm. right on Guadalupe. I don't know if you ever knew about that mic it was saturday nights and it was the worst 
But that was the one, when I was doing comedy, that was the one I loved the most because it was such a disaster. There were, you know, there was always something happening behind you. There was one time where the naked bicyclists were, were riding past and there was a huge window onto the street. And then, you know, most of the time people who were in the bar, they didn't want to hear comedy. And it was, I thought it was the best. It had the best vibe because you had all these challenges. To, to deal with and that that actually brought the comics together I, I can still throw out that that goat tavern name oh, yeah. and, and people will be like yeah that was the best we've had <laughs> uh car crashes oh god uh, we had a guy bring a live amadillo that he caught on the street uh people just falling over drunk all the time you know, stuff like that but also like i i read one of these um it was like a malcolm gladwell book mm. and he was talking about high achievement and like if you want to find the best tennis players you have to go to Eastern Europe, and they have these like broken down pads mm. that they're doing tennis on, and they're just like the worst facilities possible. Yeah, you think, well, how can they outcompete these other yeah. people? But his theory was that like that it's it's just like so bad that they don't feel like that they've arrived. They've got to continue to do the work, hmm. and so then it, it motivates them to be hungry. You know? Yeah. So I, I sort of think of that with the Lucky Duck, like you know. Nobody's there because they think it's great in some sense. They're there because they want to do the work. Yeah. You know? And so that's yeah. good. You know? And some people don't come back. You know? well, that's okay. You know, it's yeah. like, there's other places to do it. But like, I don't know. I just it's like, uh, I look forward to it. It's a lot of fun. And, uh-huh. uh, it brings me some joy. You know? And people have good sets there and stuff too. Yeah. But they do sort of become accustomed to that. And then I imagine the next place will be less challenging. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to perform under adversity because you need that practice. It's going to happen at some point. Oh, yeah. yeah. It'll just make us tougher. and It's good yeah. uh, good practice. You know. Yeah. Okay. Now, is there anything else we haven't talked about? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'm uh, just, again, like I want to focus on doing that clean show, you know. Yeah. But other than that, I don't know. I'm just having a really good time doing the comedy stuff. And uh, it's been, again, very rewarding, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just have decided to do it, so I don't have, like, some people have more thoughts about the future and uncertainty and stuff, and to me, that's all, hmm. I, I made the decision to do it uh, when I started, and I'm just going to be committed to doing it, and whatever the results are, I'll be, I'll live with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know what you're getting in, yourself into. Well, I do think that's important, like, people sort of get into all sorts of things, mm-hmm. again, that was me. I was doing all kinds of jobs and different things, not really thinking about it. This has been one of the first times where I really just, okay, let's let's, let's plan a little bit. Let's think about this. What are the, the results going to be like? Or or even like, what are you getting into here? Yeah. So I hope people will take some time to do that if they're going to. What's the same with the musician or anybody? It's any artistic pursuit. Like some people want to be a famous person. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal I set for myself with comedy is I want to do this for a living. So I'm already sort of doing that. Yeah. So that's great. You know, the rest is a sort of a bonus. Right. Right. Cool. All right. Well, you're going to hate my closing question in this case. (laughs) Oh, is it that? Am I I clairvoyant? I'll I'll make up some other goal. Oh, one word to describe your future. Well, I, I would say unknown. You know, I like that word unknown. But uh, when when people think about um, uncertainty and they think about the unknown and mm-hmm. that, they have a sense of fear. You know, 
Yeah. Because it's a, but you shouldn't. It actually should be a thing of optimism. Yeah. Because whatever you're doing now, you will won't be doing it. So there's like more possibilities. You mm-hmm. know? But we're always like, oh, something bad's gonna happen or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, but like maybe it'll be something really good. Like, yeah. You never know. You literally do not know. Yeah. One too, like when I, um, I would have liked to have the Indian Roller Show continue, but also I'm like. Well, okay, that's a, that part. That chapter is closed now, and I'm gonna go on to do some other thing. Yeah. And I learned some lessons, and and that's great. You know, and then the next show, I'll it'll be even better because I have more experience. And right. Also, people are happy to do that one mostly. You know. Mm-hmm. So that's good. But, but it's just good to be on these shows and, and provide. I mean, I didn't make a lot of money doing it, but I think I paid out like four thousand dollars to the comedy. You know, in like fifteen dollar mm-hmm. increments. You know. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. still, that's nice. I mean. Right. Yeah. It's good to pay artists. Well, even if I can only pay people like 15 bucks or something, I feel like it's a sign of respect. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham Presents Alden Schaub. Alden, why don't you tell us where we can find you on social media and tell us where we can find you six days out of the week or seven if you're out every single night. Oh, you're, yes, that's true. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, so social media, I have uh, The Mob Shop is my Instagram. And on Facebook, I just Alden Schaub Comedy. And then for the trivia, it's uh, Unknown Trivia uh, Instagram and um, uh, Unknown Trivia on Facebook. And then... If you want to read my blog there it's called a sick desire for savings and it's on blogspot and then two um yeah i've been doing sketches so i've been doing sketches uh, for my instagram reels but then also i've been kind of co-producing uh, skip and chuck's life sucks and that's on huh. uh, youtube and then yeah so trivia on monday that's uh seven to nine at the barton spring saloon um, um tuesday is the lucky duck that's eight to ten then the tag writing mic is 6.30 to 7.30, and that's what you got to sign up online. Because I only have 10 spots for that one. And then um, Thursday, right now I'm off. Um, Friday I'm doing the usually at the East Austin Comedy Club, and same with Saturday. And then Sunday I'm at the San Jackson. Busy, busy, busy. Yeah, doing the stuff. i got to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Alden got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as I have and uh, his profound lessons on getting started in comedy. This has been Comedy Wham presents Alden Schaub. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Alden. Thank you, Valerie. That was a good time. <laughs>